Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we are back. Welcome to your lovely Friday the 31st. Tomorrow is August 1st. Hopefully you guys know that's the order in which the days fall, the 31st and then followed by the 1st. Most of the time. Yeah, I need need to be reminded. That's okay. (laughs) The most important part about that is expired Palooza is going to ensue. And as you uh, have been pointing out this week, best thing about that is it's happening on the weekend. So you're more likely to get people home. They're more likely to answer their phones. Uh, They're going to have more patience with you. They're not going out the door to go to work. So, you know, I always tease our coaching clients that ignoring expireds is like saying, oh, no, it's okay. You can fall into the hands of a lesser agent than me. I I have no problem with that. And by the way, I don't want the commission either. So like every podcast, it's going to be our podcast. We try to focus on on three different um, aspects, all designed to help you guys educate you, motivate you, and get you into action. The first one's going to be, we're going to talk a little bit about from some experiences from coaching calls that we had today. And then the second is going to be, we're going to give you, hit you with some headlines, though, frankly, I don't think there are any that are most relevant to you guys. There were from some yesterday. Maybe we should talk about those. I have those. one, the, the competing acts. And the third thing is, that's kind of boring now. It's like three minutes worth, so they know All what's right. going on. Okay. All right. That's fine. And the third one's going to be content uh, that we started the other day with regards to working with buyers. Thank you for being patient with us as we started out all of our syndication. The podcast, we moved from, uh, like in the podcast world, everything gets loaded into um, iTunes and then iTunes syndicates the podcast to all the different places. At least that's how it's supposed to work. But what's happened is there's so the podcasting realm has gotten so big. Now there's a um, whole bunch of different competing companies that are all trying to essentially become like channels for podcasts. And so what you do is you have to take, you create your podcast, which is easy. You know, we're doing it now. And then you submit it to iTunes. And then iTunes then will submit it to maybe three or four other podcasts. But all the others of which now there's probably like maybe 12 or 15 you have to pay attention to, Spotify, things like that. Then you have to manually up the, upload those or get the, uh, those other syndicators to accept your RSS feed from your podcast. I'm giving you guys some nerdy information because, as we always say, every one of you guys should have podcast, a podcast because podcasting is going to become, it already is without a doubt, uh, the most influential media form on planet Earth. Matter of fact, there's a lot of people that are saying that podcasting is the biggest thing in um, essentially in you know the evolution of the dissemination of information since the Gutenberg Press. And the Gutenberg Press was basically like uh, you know the first copier in essence. It made it so that they could actually replicate uh, the written word and you know make books and whatnot. And so that's you guys can understand that took the um, information from just the people who had a book and a book back in the olden days was always handwritten and, you know, not very many people had them. They're usually held in monasteries and most people didn't know how to read and write and the whole thing. Well, then boom, the Gutenberg press comes along and now we can all of a sudden start, you know, syndicating using a modern word, uh, books and more people can uh, learn to read and write and, you know, evolution of man type of thing. Well, the same thing 
it could be argued is happening with podcasts right now. And the reason that podcasting is dominating over even video is because everybody can listen to a podcast in the background, which is frankly how I do it most of the time. And Julie does as well. So you could be, you know, uh, folding laundry or whatever, and you can have a podcast on in the background. And um, podcasts have become something that people listen to at regularly scheduled times of the day. When they're working out, they listen to, you know, timandjulieharris.com. When they're, you know, when they're driving to work, they're listening to Joe Rogan. When they're coming home from work, they might be listening to something like, I don't know, NPR or something. You guys get the gist of it. But podcasting is replacing normal media outlets. And here's something else that I think is very fascinating for me to watch. Because Julie and I have been podcasting and syndicating since 2007 or 2008, even before people knew what the word was. But the other thing that's really fascinating is the number of podcast, the nature of podcasts itself is becoming less and less formal. So a normal, like when you guys, one of the things that anyone says to me when they're thinking about starting a podcast that they always hit a wall of, oh my gosh, I need to know how to use all this technology. I need to, you know, know how to do all this audio editing and just all this stuff. You don't need to have, you don't need to have, know how to do any of that stuff. And, and in essence, you just basically run a podcast straight through. Don't go back and edit. If there's a dog barking in the background, leave the dog in. If What are you putting it? One of our coaching clients podcasts. Oh, good. Whose podcast um, is it? James Miller and his dad, Amelia Island Real Estate Show. Oh, good. Lots of great topics. Amelia Island in a hot seller's market. Buyers are working remotely. All kinds of great topics. That's awesome. Yeah, they yeah. took our advice. And that's one of Julie's uh, personal coaching clients. They're also part of our EXP family. So you, everyone listening needs to do a podcast. You should, and don't worry about like, for example, even the content. Don't worry about um, overthinking anything. You eventually will find your voice and you'll find your stride. But here's the thing I think will take a lot of pressure off. Just like, you know, what Julie and I do, that's how people want their podcasts. They want to feel ultimately, they don't want to feel like they're listening to a formal, you know, presentation necessarily. That's the old way of thinking about it. And that's frankly the more laborious way of thinking about it because then you have to have a producer, then you have to have somebody that's going to do commercials and you want to go back and edit it. You might want to, you know, turn up the gain. You want to might, one person's not loud enough, one person's, you, all that Mickey Mouse. Screw all that. Over-engineer <laughs> it. Over-engineer it. And it's not as authentic, I think. Right. I, I that's what people like. like. You know, feeling like you know somebody. Most of the podcasts we listen to, we, I mean, at least I feel like we know them. They're not really friends, friends, but they're like podcast friends, right? But that's the moral of the story. Yeah. So when you're doing your podcast, it's helpful, obviously, to do it with another person. But if you have to start out by just having somebody, you know, uh, just do it yourself, that's fine. And then eventually you can do your podcast. Maybe just have people call in and do interview-based. Interview-based is the easiest to do fundamentally because the person you're interviewing provides the content. But unless you yourself are going to do interviews like, say, Joe Rogan does, where Joe will call them out on their bullshit and doesn't – he's not even trying to be he, – he's trying to be a civil host, a nice guest in, you know, in terms of he's trying to treat them respectfully because they're kind of a guest in his house. But at the same time, he'll reel them back in and call them out if they just try to hit some sort of talking points that don't really you know, jive with – you know, reality. And I do that too. And when, when Julie and I interview people and we tell them ahead of time, we tell them that, um, you know, you can't come to our, our show with an agenda and you have to be prepared to defend what you say. Well, and, and you do a little pre pre-show interview also with right. many of them as you get to know them. So you kind of know what you're signing up for. But here's what I discovered just on a side from doing um, interviews in the past. Most people suck at conversation. Yeah. Most people are terrible at it. And what they do is they have their talking points and especially real estate people, they'll have their like three or four talking points. And then as soon as you challenge them on any of their points, 
like I'll give you the ones that I always like to go after because they're in, indefensible, <laughs> is basically the validity of teams, the validity of buying buyer leads, the validity of branding, all that stuff. And when I had someone on the pod, when someone wants to be on our podcast, it's so hilarious to me. I, we get probably, I bet on average per day, I get 10 solicitations for people wanting to be on our podcast. Um, they come usually through um, intermediaries, usually through these companies that people hire to try to get them on, you know, like PR agencies. So I'll get a pitch for someone to be on our podcast. And I can tell they've never listened to our podcast before because the person that supposedly wants to be on our podcast is wants to talk about how to scale your expansion team or something like that, which you guys know, hopefully longtime listeners know, look, we'll talk about that until the cows come home. But if you're not prepared to talk about why those, you know, essentially that's not a financially viable business model. If you're not prepared to talk about profitability, if not prepared to talk about, you know, all that, then why, you know, you're walking into a minefield being on our show. And so sometimes when I get somebody who's a big name that wants to talk about, you know, teams and branding or whatever, and this is somebody that you guys might know from HGTV or whatnot, I will tell them ahead of time that I'm going to challenge them and I'm going to tell them what my questions are going to be. And 99% of the time they choose not to be on the podcast because they know that those particular points will be gotchas. And, and I'm not going to let someone, you know, essentially preach an agenda to all of you guys that I know is bullshit. And so anyway, that the point of all this is that podcasting, as Julie just said, a really good podcast and the ones you're going to be attracted to too aren't these big formalized presentations. They're not stump speeches. They're real communication, real conversations that are happening between people with all the little, you know, inflections not edited out all the little stupid contradictions and the things that people say and all the rest of it you know stumbling over words using bad grammar or whatever you know can you use bad grammar speaking though i don't think you can that's only sure right you can. You well can see how incorrectly right see how i just did that intentionally see if julie's paying attention mm-hmm. i asked if i could use bad I. grammar by asking if you can use bad grammar because she's actually screwing around on her well, phone you right shouldn't now use bad grammar but you can if you'd like i know okay well so the point of all this guys is definitely want to start doing a podcast because podcasting going forward and just use the example julie just gave you is going to be what will provide a incredible long tail stream of business for you and start out just by talking about what you want to talk about start out by talking about what interests you it you know if you want to have a real estate podcast that's great but i'll suggest you go with a really tight niche like Amelia Island, what our coaching clients are doing or something like that. And I imagine inside Amelia Island, I know the area that they specialize in is the area called the plantations. And they probably focus most of their best podcasting on that particular area. And get this, probably 50% of the owners in the plantations, condos and houses don't live there. So they're able to listen to these podcasts and they're living in some other part of the world um, yeah. feeling like they're connected to what's actually, you know, boots on the ground. You guys see the power of this? Yeah, I listen to one, I think it's called Block and Lot or Lock and Lot and Block about Manhattan real estate. And, you know, it's so different than the rest of the country. I get lots of different interesting things, but he keeps it just Manhattan and just the different types of ownerships, co-ops, apartments, et cetera. Yeah. And his focus is on uh, different ways of winning and purchasing and all the different changes that New York rolls out. It's just, I mean, it's kind of nerdy, but it's interesting. No, it is nerdy. But to it, your point, it, keep it, it kind of in your wheelhouse, but have enough to talk about. Right. And you don't, you should have some really tight uh, calls to action in there. If you're, because the point of doing a podcast is from a business perspective is obviously to provide overwhelming value, but you can ask the people to do business with you. If you just disseminate the information and you don't give them a CTA, a call to action, a reason to reach out to you, they're not going 
going to. You have to tell people to call you. You have to tell people that I want to do business with you. Otherwise, they're going to assume because you didn't ask that you're not interested. That's true in everything, but it's especially true on podcasting because they're just going to assume you're just too busy and you'd never want to do business with them. Um, when Julie and I were coaching some of the people from Bravo TV, uh, you know, from the TV shows, it was so funny to me uh, that one of their biggest issues wasn't that they didn't want to do business with anybody who wanted to do business with them. The perception that they had to constantly overcome is that they were too busy to yeah. do business. And who was the guy from uh, Puerto Rico, actually, when I was Luis. talking with him? Luis, yeah, Ortiz. Ortiz, yeah. So Luis Ortiz had that problem, and he was doing primarily leasing at the time he was on that show. He wasn't even selling properties. And so I had to have, you know, he and I had a, some calls about how he could start in New York, how he could start going after notice defaults and distressed real estate and stuff like that, which is a huge opportunity in New York City, which goes back to the original point Julie was making before I got on my podcasting tangent. Make sure that you're looking and paying attention to the expires in your marketplace. So I'm on a coaching call this morning um, with a great agent. Uh, who just sold a $5.5 million house in Charleston. Nice job. And yeah, Legrand. And Congrats. he was, he was, uh, we were talking about, okay, what can he do to make the most of that, you know, the sale? And we were talking about the fact in this particular, it was an island, right? Mm -hmm. How um, it was locked up by three or four other old, old guard agents and whatever, whatever. And I said, on, so on the coaching call, I had him go to his MLS which he did, and I wanted him to tell me how many expireds there were. And this is a market where there are, in his words and everyone's word, there's no listings, there's uh -huh. no inventory, there's no expireds, everything sells in 22 seconds, it's all selling off market, blah, blah, blah. All right, so with this one particular island, which is really popular and stuff sells, just like I just said, that's the perception of it. it since the beginning of the year, there were over 700 expireds, wow. and he didn't even know about it. Holy over 700 opportunities and this was a small island to list properties. Yeah. And he, he hadn't even, he'd never looked. So let's say he was able to list 1% of that. I mean, that's incredible. You I know. don't even need that many well, to work out. That's here's amazing. the best part. The sale yeah. he just uh, participated in, he brought uh -huh. the buyer, was the highest sale on the island ever. That's amazing. Yeah. So he just hit the nice highest job. sale on the island ever. And there's 700 expired, probably, I'm guessing. That'd be something to talk about. How many of those have gotten relisted? Who, you know, he'd have to check and all the rest of it. Yeah. But today is the last day of the month, and tomorrow is the first day of the month, which means, as Julie said, expired Palooza. There's always a peak of expireds. So those of you who are in our premier coaching program, use our expired script. It's not just enough to have the script. You have to listen to the audio training we do so we can give you all the, you know, essentially the nuanced approaches between just reading the script and making the script work. Reading the script is in, you know, essentially being coached to use the script and have in the actual words in front of you are not the same thing. That's it's a difference true. between watching a video and having a personal trainer. You know, I can watch videos on my iPhone and go to the gym when it opens again, and but it's and I can know how to do the moves. But the thing is, is there's nobody watching me to know whether or not I'm actually doing the moves correctly. Mm -hmm. Like I might be trying to do some sort of, you know, lifting weight whatever on some torture device over at the gym but i don't know that i'm not standing up straight or i don't know i mean that's the reason there's mirrors yeah. in gym so you can look at yourself but i might be arching my back when i'm not supposed to be actually hurting myself that kind of thing and that's what a trainer's supposed to do they're supposed to go in there and give you the nuanced approaches to make you better at what you're supposed to be doing so you can get results faster that's really simply what a coach does or that's essentially what you should be considering doing if you want to move your business forward faster i do it julie does it all the smartest you know most successful Successful people on planet Earth always have coaches for whatever they're trying to perfect because it shortens the learning curve. There is no hack. There is no shortcut in life. But if there is, it's hiring someone who's been there first to help you get there quickest. 
Um, so if you're interested in learning more about our coaching program, why don't you guys text the word Harris to 31996. Text the word Harris to 31996. And when you do, we're going to text you back uh, three. Well, we're going to text you back a link and that you then can download. It's three free books, The Real Estate Treasure Map, Think and Grow for Rich, Rich for Real Estate and Your 12-Month Lead Generation Plan. Oh, there's a fourth one. Oh, I, I said it already, Real Estate Treasure Map. Mm-hmm. They're, so they're all there and you can download those books and those are an excellent you know, way for you to Essentially, if you're listening to us for the first uh, first time, this is definitely those series of books are definitely things you need to embrace immediately, especially the real estate treasure map. So just text the word Harris to three one nine nine six. And also, thank you for those of you who are um, being so supportive of our book on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. It continues to be one of the best selling real estate books of all time, and nearly five or four hundred five star reviews. So thanks for that. The book is called Harris Rules. If you've not picked up the book yet. Um, so there it is. Uh, now we're going to talk next. At Julie, I don't. Let's just skip the headlines for today. Okay, that's fine. Okay. So we're going to talk now about what we were talking about previously, which is talking about essentially the buyer process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what we're hoping to do is demystify a lot of the. Um, you know, obviously our coaching program focuses on working with sellers, becoming you know a powerful listing agent. That's really our. That's what we want you guys all having as your north star. But working with buyers is going to be a great thing for everyone to do. Our, mo- our busiest, most successful listing agents, agents with consistently 20 to 30 listings who really don't have to work buyers that they didn't want to, we always want them to have two or three AAA, really great, ideally high-end buyers in their back pockets because A, it keeps them in front of the market. They'll know exactly what's happening in the market. You really, when you're working with sellers and you're just looking in the MLS at what's sold, you're just using your comp data from you know previous sale history, you're not on the leading edge of what's happening in the market. So the problem with you know, a lot of top listing agents is if they stop working with buyers, they're not at the very leading edge of what's happening in the marketplace as far as preferential, you know, changes. And there's little nuanced things that's it's sort of bizarre to understand why things happen the way they do. But you might have over a series of like just 90 days, uh, floor plan preferences start to change. There might be like, um, you know, a for example, you I remember very clearly when Julie, you remember white cabinets and kitchens? Yeah. That was Nobody the thing. puts you know, and, white cabinets. And before that it was oak. It was oak, yeah. You know? And then people would have this orange oak cabinets. Oh, you guys remember that back so in the eighties and the nineties? And how about what was the horrible green in the seventies? Oh yes, the and goldenrod. You right. know, you do see the trends and you also see things that you're not gonna see if you're not out there actively showing property. You might know about, you know, you might not find out about a new construction project that's just down the road that's not in the MLS and it's starting to suck the life out of this resale right. market. Um, you know, I think that, and I, I love our powerful listing agents and I love that they have the freedom to say, you know, I'm only a listing agent, but I also caution them that your pricing brain slips a lot too. That's right. It, it's much more powerful to see things in person as well as getting buyers' impressions of what they see in person. You know, when people are getting ready to buy houses, of course, they're watching HGTV and Bravo and housing shows and getting housing magazines. And they're probably more frosty about what's hot than you are because they're actively in it. And I think that is very valuable to have at least two or three, as you said, very motivated, very qualified, ready to rumble buyers at all times. Ideally, your sellers that are basically, the houses are sold and they're looking right. for a place to buy because you know they're motivated and they have a time frame. You guys yes. go down, I'm sure I don't have to talk very many of you into no. knowing how to uh, you know differentiate a really motivated buyer from one that's not motivated. Hopefully, you guys are all experiencing really great motivated buyers right now. 
Um, and hopefully all those motivated buyers are your current sellers who are about to close. Ideally, yes. Yeah. Um, but the, again, here's another, just to emphasize Julie's point, if you stop working with buyers and you only work on sellers, and I realize some of you are seeing that as dream life scenario, what I just described, <laughs> right. but you can't give up buyers in that you will, as just listen to what she said, you will lose touch with what the market is actually uh, as it's changing. So you could have a listing appointment this weekend. Okay, and there was a house that just sold or maybe hasn't sold and you'd never been in it. And the seller is going to ask you a specific question or at least you should know why that house is or isn't a comp. And if you've never been in it, you're not going to know that the real problem with the house is the whole house smells like cat pee or, you know, some little weird well, things it, happening. It could be a comp for your next listing anyway. Or you might walk into a listing appointment. This is the most likely scenario in a market like what we're headed into. And you might have it in, that, in your mind that the house is how the seller's house is worth, you know, five ninety nine or whatever. And you... Uh, uh, because you were just showing properties to a very motivated, um, you know, family of buyers, they and you were looking at that very price range. Your CMA told you the house was worth five nine nine, but because you were just out showing competition for that house, you know the house in this market because the prices are falling or is only worth five seventy five. Yeah, because what you just showed hasn't sold yet. That's right, and and what you just showed is actually nicer than the house yeah. that you're about to list. It's really and, important, and you wouldn't have known that because the, obviously you weren't out there looking at property. So this is really critical. Well, you know, we use a kind of a unfair advantage, shall we say, with our coaching clients called the instant showing feedback card, which yeah. is also kind of secretly prospecting should that listing actually, you know, expire. There's lots of little things that are kind of add-on advantages you have. We've got lots of stories of our clients actually running into listing opportunity while they're out showing buyers. Right. People so see we're them actively out there. We're not suggesting obviously you solicit a listed property. No, but what what, what the instant showing feedback card is as part of our coaching company, we give you guys um, it's a card that you leave. So a lot of good listing agents are supposed to ask for feedback after the showing to give to the buyer. And usually that entails some sort of series of annoying phone calls or emails or whatever. And um, what we will suggest you do is you leave a card. It's not designed to solicit the listing, but no. it just gives instant feedback on which the you're showing. Which you supposed to be doing anyway. And, you have, an efficiency and you have the buyers leave the feedback, which again, sometimes if that listing's about to expire, the seller's really going to appreciate that and might think of you. Yes. All right. So moving forward um, with regards to the buyer process, with I don't think we need to drill down anymore on why they need to always have a few buyers in their, in their, uh, their repertoire, smart. their quiver. Okay. So the next process is pre-qualifying the buyers. And the pre-qualifying script for working with buyers um, we're going to go through the first three questions. Can you pull it up again? Yep. Hang on a second. I, I, so I have it obviously memorized because Julie well, and I wrote it. Well, you can get started. We wrote it years ago. So the different scenarios where buyers are going to be reaching out to you. This is assuming this is not a buyer you already have because you've got their house listed. Um, one of the best buyer lead attraction tools known to man is 1-800-HOME-HOTLINE.COM. 1-800-HOME-HOTLINE.COM. You guys should all check that out. 1-800-HOME-HOTLINE.COM. Um, so... Let's say, for example, you get a call from a buyer, and maybe it's calling 3800homehotline.com, or maybe it's they're calling off a sign. And let me take a sidestep and I'll go back in and focus on the script. Your best buyers are not internet buyers. Generally speaking, those are your worst buyers because everyone starts out on the internet and then they start honing in and looking in uh, as they drive through neighborhoods. That's how buyers search. Now, in the upper end markets, um, you're going to find it's even more refined, but just for the generalized presentation here, that's the thing to remember is internet buyer leads. One of the reasons that generally speaking, they're not that great is because the buyers are just generally not that motivated because they're in the beginning stages of looking back when um, some of you will remember this and maybe in some markets, you guys still see these at grocery stores and whatnot. There used to be those homes magazines 
Well, Homes Magazine's buyers are the, have become internet buyers, basically. So the internet's done away with those Homes Magazines and all about the smallest markets. And, and those Homes Magazine's buyer leads were equally as unmotivated mm-hmm. because they were just getting ready to start thinking about maybe someday buying a house or selling a house for that matter. So your best leads are always the people driving the neighborhood because once they once they're driving the neighborhood, they probably they're they're you know they definitely have a deadline in mind. They've been looking for a while. They've decided they want to live in you know Oakhurst subdivision or you know White Tree subdivision. They and they're know ex- watching the neighborhood. Right, they're watching the neighborhood. Yeah. They're going to open houses. They're driving through and they you know they're stalking the local parks to see how many kids are there. They're looking at school buses. They're really getting a sense of what it'd be like to live there. Those are your motivated buyers, and those are the only, those types of buyers you're going to get from open houses, but you're also going to capture them if you're using 800 Home Hotline and all the signs. If you don't have any listings in a particular neighborhood that you want to start getting listings in, use 800homehotline.com and then ask the listing agents. Ideally, if some of them are in your office, that would be great. If you, A, can put a sign writer on their sign and just go to that 1-800-HOME-HOTLINE.COM and check out the sign writer example, or you can just put a secondary corrugated plastic sign in their yard that says, for free 24-hour record info on this house, and then it's going to say, call 1-800-555-1212 and then whatever extension, and then there's going to be a recording describing the house. What that is really is a, a tool to design designed to, yes, give them information on the property, but an instant information on the property. And they can also have the information texted to them. But really, the, the benefit to you is anytime they call it, you're going to be able to call or ID them. And the system's going to text you and let you know that this person from this phone number just called on this house. You guys following me on all this? I know I'm going through this relatively quick because I assume that most of you are just going to go to 1-800-HOME-HOTLINE.COM and check it out. And the scripts are there, too. Yeah. And so, so you don't have to write everything that Tim just said. But here's the process. And the reason I have this memorized is because um, when Julie and I were selling lots, hundreds of homes per year, we did have agents that worked for us as, you know, buyer's agents. Um, but one of the things I quickly learned was when you delegate pre-qualifying, especially your upper end listings, you're, you're going to lose all kinds of business because no matter what, the people you hire to pre-qualify are never going to be as effective as you. So some of the last things we ever suggest, if and never, it, frankly, if you never delegate these things, it's great. Don't delegate pre-qualifying and don't delegate going on listing appointments. And I know, again, the current zeitgeist is you give up both, but the inefficiencies that 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 you know essentially give delegating those two important things introduces to your real estate business results in a massive. Uh, drop in net profit. So yes, that means you might not have to pre-qualify people anymore. And yes, that might mean you might not have to go on listing appointments anymore. But it also is going to mean that your crappy profit is going to get crappier because the inefficiencies that come from expecting someone to do a high-end job. We had an email last week from a coaching client that described exactly what you just said. I don't know if you remember that because we get so many uh, emails. But um, she was saying that she's got all this lead generation in place. She knows how to make the phone ring. But she was basically playing a round robin with buyer's agents and, you know, today's your day for lead conversion and tomorrow's my day for lead conversion. They didn't do it with urgency. They didn't use a script. So she's like, I'm generating all these leads and I'm not getting any results. And so, what did she say? She said it was like running a faucet full of money down the drain. Well, and, and so then she was like, should I just hire a VA to do it? And, you know, it's like, no, you do it. And then you can disseminate who gets which leads. And in fact, if you're going to maybe not even have buyer's agents, but have referral agents, you can charge them more because it's pre-qualified, ready yep. to rumble. The script is done. You know they're financing. You know, you know, 
it's much better to do it yourself. That's, to your point, one of the last things you should ever give up. Because, and you guys are going to listen when we go through our script, is because you're going to lose all your listing leads. And as far as having yes, buyer agents, yes. I have looked at countless profit and loss statements for teams. And I'm going to tell you what I tell 99% of them. And you guys aren't going to like this, especially if you're part of the team, the religion of teams, right? Because teams and you know all this crap has become somewhat like a religion. People are, are absolutely pissed and offended when you say anything against the idea that this business model that they're trying to you know create is 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 flawed. And it is flawed. It's terrible, especially if you're trying to have profit in your business. If you were, and I've never found an example where this wasn't true, and I know I'm going to get some email or text where someone's going to argue with me, and that's fine. Argue away. I've never gone over someone's profit and loss statement where it was not more profitable for them to refer all their buyers out after they had been pre-qualified and all the listing leads were pulled out, uh, to pr- uh, refer those buyers out to other agents that in their marketplace uh, for a 35 or a 30% referral fee. I have yet to find an example where that was not more profitable referring the buyer leads out than trying to build a buyer's agent staff and a buyer's agent team. Now, if you're part of EXP, what I just gave you was a great, great system for you to go about starting to add people uh, to your revenue share group by essentially putting together a group of agents that you trust to do a great job and make them part of your referral team, but they have to be part of EXP. I mean, there's another little side benefit if you're part of EXP. And by the way, if you guys want to learn about, more about EXP Realty, without a doubt, it is going to be the world's most dominant real estate brokerage and I said the world and they the expansion internationally I'm hearing rumors and I'm seeing them hire up people it's going to the exp realty is going to go so fast across uh, Latin America it's going to start spreading all over anywhere in Europe that uh, English is spoken which is by the way everywhere in Europe uh, you can go to Poland, you can go to Italy, well, not rural Italy, <laughs> but you can go to Germany, you can go to everywhere in Europe, they speak their native tongue, but they all are taught in grade school how to te- uh, speak English as well. So you're going to see eXp expanding so fast. If you're l- interested in learning more about eXp Realty, because it is without a doubt the single best business opportunity of most of our, most of our lifetimes, I made it super simple for you. Just text the word EXP to 31996. Text the word EXP to 31996. And when you do, we're going to text you back a quick nine-minute video. Watch the video. You're going to have a lot of your questions answered, and then you can have a call uh, with someone to answer their uh, answer your any follow-up questions and maybe move forward with us at EXP. All right, so before I got on the EXP tangent, what was the uh, what, were, what were we saying? <laughs> well, we were talking about 800 Home Hotline. We are talking about how... Your best buyers are not oh, internet Referring buyers. out your buyers and teams, right? Yes, and that your best buyers are the ones driving by. They know the yep. neighborhoods. I have a quick uh, coaching story about that from yesterday. Uh, great coaching client in uh, Paducah, Kentucky, Sarah Gibson. Okay, so she's putting, she's got a new listing. She's putting a lockbox on the front door. Guy parks his, uh, actually, he was already in the driveway. She's like, who is this guy in this truck? So she's doing the lockbox. He walks up, he introduces himself. He says, I've been watching what this homeowner has been doing. I saw the house before they rehabbed it. Me and my wife are super interested in it. Do you mind if I walk through? He even said, uh, just so you know, I'm already working with another agent. You know, he, he was like totally, he, he told her about his financing, told her about his agent. Like this guy is ready to buy that house. And she's like, sure, come on in. You know, he was literally like right there. He beat her to it. Right. And she's putting a lockbox on. So I don't know whether he ended up being a buyer or not, but I bet he was. So as far as like um, the buyers and, and pre-qualifying, the reason that you don't want to delegate pre-qualifying, you don't want to delegate to a VA or you don't want to delegate to some, you know, want to be successful agent 
is because you're going to lose listing leads like you cannot possibly yes. believe. And so here's the gist of the script. And whether you're using this from someone calling you uh, directly or you know, they left you know a voicemail for you or whether they're calling 300-Home Hotline, it does not matter how you got the lead. And I want you guys to completely forget all this bullshit about all these stupid rules that people preach. If someone texts you, you're only supposed to text them back. If someone emails you, you're only supposed to email them back. If some, Just forget all that. It's all a bunch of crap. Here's the bottom line. You call everyone back. Okay, call everyone back voice to voice. If they send you to voicemail, fine, but call people back. Don't set up all these rules that are just basically thinly disguised, you know, mechanisms so that you don't actually have to do the real work of real estate, which is learning how to have, you know, yeah. professional conversations with people. It's creative avoidance. So, is what it is. if someone's calling the 800 home hotline, for example, here's the script. Here's the first three or four lines. Um, and I know this because I used to say it a billion times. And I haven't said this, you know, professionally speaking to an actual client in forever, but it still works because this is what we coach all of our clients to say. Um, ring, ring, hello. Um, and, you know, so I'm sorry. Somebody just called uh, the 800 Home Hotline. They listen to uh, information about the house and they're parked in front of it and they, and they see the sign. And then they call the 800 Home Hotline number or they text it. It doesn't matter. And then here's what they're going to hear. You're calling about 123 Elm Street. It's a three bedroom, two and a half bath home with a private backyard. It recently remodeled kitchens and bathrooms and HVAC, newer roof in 2012 or whatever. The house is in perfect condition, ready to move in, in near perfect condition, ready to move in. The house is currently priced in the mid 500s, right? And for more information, press zero, you know, that kind of thing. And then what happened, just in, thank you for calling about 123 Elm Street. That's it. And then what's going to happen is probably maybe 10% are going to press zero for uh, more information. But you're going to call and you are going to call every single one of them back because here's what's happening. If you notice from the recording, I did not give them the price. I gave them the price range. Now, you don't want to put the price in the recording for several reasons. And the biggest one is, is you want to basically uh, not have to go there and update the audio every time you change the price. You guys are spoiled thinking houses sell themselves in 22 seconds. But in this new market, they're not going to. And so that price, that the original house and priced at 550 is going to be, you know, 529 in two weeks. Well, so, you also don't lose the buyer because maybe they're a 510 buyer and you're at 540. You can say mid 500. You that's right. You don't lose their interest. Those two reasons. So that's the reason that you don't want to ever say. So you want to do low 500s, mid 500s, upper 500s. You don't actually want to say the actual price. The other reason is, is because they don't know the actual price and they're still curious, right? Mm -hmm. Now, here's the next key. And this is the other thing that agents always screw up on when you know, chasing buyers, because this is all about chasing buyers. And our hidden agenda, not so hidden, is always to pull out the sellers. Is you have to have what Julie and I have uh, termed copywritten trademark, don't steal it, called furiously fast lead follow-up. So a furiously fast lead follow-up means you call every single lead back within like moments. No, not a minute or two minute. Again, I know there's people that have all these stupid rules. And not texting. You're not texting and not, don't put them into drip campaigns. Guys, listen, all that stuff is a bunch of procrastinating crap. Drip campaigns don't work. Long-term lead follow-up you know, is not worth doing. If you can't pre-qualify them for motivation and they're not motivated to buy within ideally or transact, you know, that's my stupid watch, isn't it? I think so. <laughs> isn't that funny? Was it you... Scam Likely again? <laughs> yeah. <that's... laughs> you want to tell that story? <laughs> well, quickly. Uh <laughs> You know, Zoe's often playing with my phone or looking at videos or something, and I often get scam likely calling, and I just hit delete or whatever if I'm feeling I'm not. What's every night, basically? Oh, I'll say I'm, I'm on my way or something. And so one day she goes, is scam likely a coaching client? 
why don't you like her? You never take her call. <laughs> I'm like, scam likely is just not a good coin. It, so the scam likely thing when we answer, because I get the call too, it's something in Chinese. And it always is something, who knows what's going on. Yeah, and so Julie and I, you know how when you guys get a, a message, you can send back an SMS and they're pre-written messages. Well, so Julie and I text back, we're on our way. See you there. <laughs> See you there. You know, who knows right. what it is? We don't speak Chinese. No. Anyway, so that was scam likely. Yep. <laughs> right on time. Well, so you call these people back and your your goal is to call them back immediately. And by immediately, it's immediately. And you don't want to put them in a drip campaign. You don't want to put them in a long-term lead follow-up. Look, if you guys want to do that because you're hoping and praying that that person somehow is going to raise their hand eventually and do a transaction with you, go for it. But I want you to put absolutely no effort or emotional, you know, hoping and praying that those are going to materialize into something they never have. Well, and you really shouldn't even do that unless you've actually talked to them and have something to go on. Otherwise, you might as well put the whole phone book into your database. But what weak agents do is they get these weak leads from bot leads from like Facebook. So they get weak agents buying weak leads. uh, And then they're putting these weak leads into these weak lead follow-up programs, you know, as in W-E-A-K. And then they're hoping and praying that sometimes those those people miraculously raise their hand. And they celebrate when they're able to sort of, you know, serotish did I say it right? Surreptitiously. Oh, I missed the P. Pretty close. Yeah, close enough. I need more caffeine. You're using your ass, Julie, again. You're looking at me like, have you? Are you daft? No. <laughs> the answer is yes. It's Friday. I am daft, Julie. You don't have to look at me. Sorry. No more physically. caffeine. Well, so um, yeah. So you look at, for example, what was I just seeing? How I got off my. See, this, this is the problem with the Friday shows. Surreptitiously was where you got stuck. I know, but what was the point of that? I don't know. We just lost Because <laughs> Scam Likely's tried to call again. Well, so but so you were kind of midway through the buyer conversion script, which also is kind of a buyer pre-qualification script. Point being that you call them immediately with urgency and you ask good questions so you can find out oh, how I serious they are. That way you don't just throw them all in your database and hope for the best. So the reason that long-term lead follow-up doesn't work and the reason even when you guys have these fancy systems that basically report to you when they've opened your email or they've watched a video and whatever, because that doesn't mean anything. Who cares? If you can't get them on the phone and actually pre-qualify them and find out if they have a house to sell, find out what their time frame is. Uh, and if you aren't asking the hard questions to determine their actual motivation, then why are you keeping them around? And you guys, it's it's shocking to me. You put value on leads. Leads have no value. And by the way, the same leads you have, a thousand other agents have those same leads. I'm going to say that again because those two points are really important. Leads themselves have no value. A lead is worthless unless you pre-qualify the lead for motivation. Now, a motivated lead a pre-motivated, pre-qualified lead, that has value. But a lead as just a name and a phone number on a piece of paper, is com- are, they're complete crap. And those of you guys who buy leads from any of the portals, you know, Zillow or whatever, or you're generating your own leads, just because you fill out a form, you know, they filled out a form on Facebook, a leads funnel thing, and you think that lead has value, or you're just fooling yourself. And the reason you do this, if you want to cut through your own malarkey, is because you don't want to actually do the real work of real estate, which is learning how to pick up the phone and have real conversations. You don't want to have furiously fast lead follow-up. You think that there's something wrong with the idea that you have to be beholden to calling people back right away and asking them tough questions that will help sift and sort whether or not they're legitimate buyers or not. Well, you know what's funny about that is the best buyers who really are motivated and have it together either with cash or financing, they're like down the pipe with that. They actually want to talk to you. Oh, yeah. And you know, evidence of that is when, and this still happens to this day, when you call back with urgency, whether it's your 800 home hotline or not, they're always like, 
are you a recording? Are you for real? Yeah. Well, let's, let's get to it then. Of, you know, I mean, it's almost like they don't believe it's a real person. Well, you're getting to it. Let's. So you yeah. want to be the buyer? Sure. Okay. So I, I'm say ring, ring. No, you're calling no, I'm me. Calling <laughs> yeah. Ring, ring. Hello. Hi. Um, I'm calling about one two three Elm Street. I just went past it, and I was just wondering about the price. You know, that's a terrific property. Everybody's calling about that one. It seems. Um, let me look that one up on the computer to make sure it's still uh, listed and, and see what the current price is. Oh, by the way, which house in the neighborhood are you thinking about selling? Oh, um, well, I live in the neighborhood, like you know, right next door, and um, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do yet. Okay, terrific. Uh, and then the, you pick up the rest of the script. I'm going to stop right there. So our buyer script, and what we want you guys to do is we want you to treat every single buyer lead as if they're also a seller in hiding. Because depending on your your a price range, that is going to be true. 99%, if you're dealing in the mid-end or the upper-end price range, now if you're dealing in the upper-end upper price range, those people won't have to sell before they buy. But if you're dealing in really where most of you are, 99% of you are going to be dealing with people that present as buyers, but they're actually sellers. And furthermore, they can't buy unless they sell. But because you guys don't know how to have the seller conversation with them, you waste too much time focusing on the wrong end of the transaction, which is the buyer side. Or they, they lose the buyer before they even get to that question. You know, the, They just answer the question what's the price so let's rewind for a second I you said you know hi how's it going I said you know I'm calling on one two three Elm Street what's the price right and if I just say 499 oh well I mean maybe I'm not even gonna tell you that I'm only a 399 buyer I'm just gonna say okay thanks bye and why is the asking the question by the way which house in the neighborhood are you thinking about selling you ask that question right there and our entire script pull the script up there's a couple other little fun things that are halfway down the script. Our entire script is designed to work like that and using psychology. It's making it so the psychology of sales is working on your behalf. And again, Julie and I wrote this and refined it. And our goal was to make it so you don't have to think. You just ask the questions. I mean, I'm looking at the script right now. And you read the questions and you write in the answers to what they say. And then you use that for, you know, essentially keeping track of them as a lead going forward. That's the whole point of this damn script. Well, so the pre-qualification is actually embedded in the conversion script. That's the point. Okay? That's the fun part. So, for example, your next question is how long have you been looking for your home? Right. And then we also talk about, and that, I love this one because it's kind of a different way of asking if you're working with an agent. I assume because you're calling me directly, you're not already working with another real estate Okay, agent. slow down. You know Did you hear how she asked that question? Yeah. So the next question is, uh, Julie, it's nice to meet you. I'm looking it up on the computer. And let's just say Julie says she doesn't have a house to sell in the neighborhood. Okay, so she's the first time buyer or whatever. Or she sold her house out of state and she's relocating. Okay, perfect. And then I'm going to say, so how long, the next question is how long have you been looking, right? Mm -hmm. yep. And she, oh, I've been looking for the past 90 days. And then you say, you don't want to ask the question, are you working with an agent? That is a weak question that any moderately sophisticated buyer is going to know the answer is yes, because then they're going to get you to shut up and just give them the information and get off the phone, right? So the question, the way to ask the question is, and I assume because you're calling me directly, you're not working with another agent. When you ask the question like this, they're actually going to tell you the truth. If you ask the question the other way, they're going to tell you just whatever it takes to get you off the phone. I know, this, it's magic. It's like just it's a scripting thing, but it, it works so well. It's the same reason that this, the second question is, everyone, you know, everyone's calling about that house. It's a terrific property. Oh, by the way, which house in the neighborhood are you thinking about selling? When you ask that question at the top of the script, when you first start that conversation with them, they're not going to lie to you. They're going yeah. to tell you the truth 
because they weren't expecting that question, yeah. so they won't be mentally, emotionally That's prepared why it's so for early it. In the right. Script. That's the reason we put it up there because what most of you do is you're not professional and you have, frankly, bad training and the bad trainers have told you to say dumb things yeah. where you're supposed to somehow friend up and bond with this well, buyer. They bond, fart bond. around with mirroring and matching for right. 20 minutes and then maybe, maybe they have the guts to ask that question. You have a dog? I have a dog. You're a human? I'm a human. It's you live in a house? I live in a house. We're perfect for each other. I can work with uh. you. And then like, you know, an hour later, they then somehow meander into a conversation about the house the seller has to sell. Do you think the buyers and the sellers want to waste their time getting to know you like that? You guys are just acting unprofessionally like that because you don't know how else to act. That's the, can you imagine walking into your dentist's office? I mean, think about how it actually means and what it actually is to work with a professional. You walk in, you go up to the counter, you fill out forms and paperwork. You, yeah. you sit your ass back down in the chair, you have a clipboard full of crap you fill out, and then you sit there, and then you go into the, you know, you go into the doctor, and there's a very expected procedure as to how things are supposed to work. Same thing when working with any professional. Any service provider is going to have a system, not with agents. Yeah, and you don't have a choice either. You will not be seeing the doctor without those forms filled out. That's right. And there's that's no the negotiating. Right. And that's the approach yeah. that we want you guys to at least consider taking. This yeah. is the reason. This is the... This is the process that they have to go through for you to work with them. And if they don't want to answer these questions, if they don't want to, if they're just wasting time and you end up losing a lead, good. Your job is not collect leads. The more leads, when we have a coaching client, and this is, yeah, again, this time of year, we always get a lot of these guys, you know, guys and gals. Okay, tell me about your business. How many leads do you have? I have, and it's usually some ridiculous number. And then they say, well, I have 32 leads. Okay, and how many? And then I have another 700 leads in my drip follow-up cam. I, I had said, somebody tell me 2,000 ones. Yeah, people brag about it. I, I, I literally, for like 30 seconds, I didn't know what to say. <laughs> 2,000? What, are you just putting everybody in your drip campaign? Yep, for the past three years. Yeah, it, it's, it's, the, it's the race to, Ugh. it's this analytical, weak sales, bad training you know, Mickey Mouse, where your goal is to somehow form these huge databases yeah. or these huge lead lists where oh, then you just drip campaign crap at them to the cows come home. But you guys, I said it before, I'll say it again. Leads have no value and everyone else has your leads. <laughs> That's the truth. Yeah. You think that buyer, that seller is only on your list? You guys are dropping off tchotchkes for your centers of influence and past clients. You've heard us in this podcast before talking about the hilarity of, you know, like the pumpkin pie things in November. There's Julie and I read a real estate seminar once and, um, you know, they broke into masterminds and Julie and I are there was presenters. And so we kind of floated from one table to the next. And then the topic came up as what are you supposed to do for centers of influence and past clients around the holidays. And all these different groups of agents at these different tables started talking about freaking pumpkin pies. And I just thought it was so insane that I actually started asking a question. So how many of you guys are in, uh, you know, similar markets? And remember, this was like, it was like an Atlanta or something. And so the, the chances of these guys not having the same people on their same centers of influence and past clients list was about zero. So I said, so if you're Bob, if you're dropping off a pumpkin pie at the Smith's house and you see Jane's pie sitting there on the kitchen, on the, on the stoop, right? And then as you're pulling out of the driveway, you know, John is pulling in the driveway to drop off another pie. I mean, I'm trying to make them laugh, but what I was really trying to do is point out the insanity of what you guys think is lead follow-up and how you actually you're trying to fake unique. bond and fake relationship with people, but people don't want that. They don't want your no. damn pie. They want you to solve their problem. No. 
And they get pissed when raccoons eat it all over their porch that night. Yeah, exactly. And and so like you, when you go to your dentist, do you isn't I hate going to the dentist while he's doing procedure and, and having him even try to talk or oh, her try no. to talk. Just Let's not, get it done. Just get it done, right? Isn't that what a real perfect and the way you get no. business centers of influence and past clients, the way you, you build your database, the way you make people send you business is yes because they like you, but they're not gonna like you unless you solve their problem. They don't like you because you gave them a damn pie. They like you because you helped them buy or sell a house. The pie was not necessary. Now, we're not suggesting you don't keep up with your centers of influence and past clients. We are suggesting you call them and you can mail them things like we usually suggest once a month, a postcard or something of value. Give them something of value, as you said, like a market report, an update, a, um, you know, an absorption rate study. Right. So that's fine. But, so but, we're not saying go all driver on everybody. What right. we're talking about is just help people using good scripts. It's a it's an approach to business that true professionals take, and that's the reason our script is written the way it is. All right. So Julie, we then ask. I assume because you're calling me directly, you're not working with another agent, and then we can get into the weeds about levels of motivation. So continue to read the questions. That's right. And then uh, you talked about you said because remember we also asked them how long they've been looking. You've been looking for X number of days, months, years, whatever. Interesting. Ideally, how okay. soon do you want to be in your next home? Okay, so those two questions are important, right? So how long have you been looking for your house? And then the, the form basically gives gives you an opportunity to say, I've been looking for, you know, fill in day, how many days, months, or weeks. And then if they say they've been looking for like, uh, I have this memorized, but I want you to read it so I don't screw it up. Um, okay. I, you know, you, they say, well, I've been looking for a month. Mm-hmm. And then you say, interesting, and go back to that script. Yes. Um, have, well, I love this part because it says, have you seen any homes that you've liked? Yes or no? Okay. If no, what uh, what about the homes that you've seen have you not liked? So this is a little bit of a rapport building, but interesting fact, oftentimes buyers who have been roaming around looking at new construction or open houses or whatever, they do have something. And the next question is, what have you decided to do about it? Because you might have a sale right there. Okay. Um, If they, okay, so let's say that they didn't. Great. What about the home did you like? Based on what you liked about that home, this is what you're looking for in your next home. And then you write down what they're looking for. The home you said you like, did you make an offer on that house? If no, uh, would you like to make an offer? If yes, why didn't that work out? Um, so you're, you're kind so, of, and so, you're also finding out if they're kind of lightly working with somebody as well through that. So what you're doing is you're basically saying, how long have you been looking? Great. While you've been looking, whether properties, have, have you seen any properties that you've liked? No or yes. And then if they say yes, then you ask, well, did you make an offer on that property? If they say no, and then you say, well, if the property is still available, would you like to make an offer on the property, right? Right? And you guys are going to find a lot of times they're going to say, yes, I would like to make an offer on the property. And I didn't make an offer on the property because I walked into an open house and the agent didn't offer to write the offer. Nobody ever asked me to write it. Nobody ever asked me. When we we were selling real estate, we sold tons of houses just because we asked that one question. No, it was shocking. It was shocking. It was just like nobody bothered to ask them. Okay, so you have to ask that. Um, all right, now let's say that that didn't happen. The next part is, let me ask you, if I were to show you a house that would fit all of your needs, this is the home you're looking for on a scale of one to 10, 10 meaning you'd absolutely immediately buy the home, where would you rate yourself? If they say anything other than a 10, then you move on to a different So, question. So if they, say, if they say a seven, and you say seven, congratulations. So let me ask you, what would it take to get you to a right. 10? Exactly. You seem surprised I remember the script. <laughs> It's okay. Uh, And, you know, the key here, too, and I find this when agents are learning scripts, you have to actually listen to the answer. Don't be so anxious to go to the next script question because you'll have wasted your time if you don't retain what they're actually telling you. Because here's what you're going to find. On a scale of 1 to 10, Julie, um, you know, if I... This is the summary, right? You're looking for a home in X area. The home has to have X number of bedrooms, bathrooms, 
you know, a big backyard, private space, whatever, a Zoom room. Okay, so you're just summarizing, so you're showing them that you listened. We have that in the script to kind of force them to really hone in on what the buyer wants. You guys listening, do you understand what she's saying? So at this point in the script, what we want you to do is take a breath and summarize everything that the buyer said to you and repeat it back to them yeah. so they then can hear that you listened. Subconsciously, you've already put yourself at a different level than most agents who just want to talk about their golden retriever. And so now you're going to be, you know, essentially then moving forward with the conversation. And then next, yes. and then believe it or not, you're going to start asking motivation or close yes. questions. And this is on your first call. Yeah. And you know, the funny thing is by actually asking, you have built rapport with them. So those of you who are big rapport builders, you're, you are doing that. Okay. So here's a good one. An assumptive question. What's the name of the lender you're working with? That's right. Okay. What's who's or who's the lender you're working with? And if with? they haven't, then you can have a lender conversation. And what price range has that lender pre-approved you for? Or what price range have they told you not to go over? Now, here's the thing. This saves so much time because what do agents do? Are you working with a, a lender? How do you like them? Yada, yada. This is, what have they told you not to go over? Because if they're not working with a lender, that question will still get that information out. That's right. Okay. So uh, let's see. Have you actually gotten pre-approved or just started the process? So you've already signed the loan application. That's in there because buyers don't know the difference between pre-approved and pre-qualified. Have you signed the loan application? Um, let's Julie, see. is this question, this, so on a scale. Right there. Okay, but I, Mr. Uh, Mr. Buyer, so just so I'm sure about, and we didn't ask this question, is, is a little scroll up, Julie. So on a scale of one to 10, if I show you a house that's a three bedroom, two and a half we bath that. that meets all your criteria, on a scale of one to 10, how motivated would you be to purchase that house today with 10 being you'd just want me to shut up and stop talking and help you fill out the contract and one being you'd want us to keep looking. And then they're going to say a number. They're going to say probably seven. This is what we skipped over, right? This is right there. Well, you skipped over the if they're not a 10. You went into if they are 10. So right. If they are not, if they're anything less than a 10, even a nine. What would it take for you to be a 10? Great. So you're a seven. So let me ask you, what would it take to get you to a 10? And that's the question you ask to find out what their motivation is. And going again, we're going back a slight half step here. But the reason you're asking that question is because you want to know if there's anything else lingering that's preventing them right. from purchasing, purchasing this house that they claim would be a perfect fit, right? I said, if it's a 10 out of 10, checks all the boxes, where would you rate your motivation to buy the house today? If they don't say a 10, there's something else that's floating around in their head. And then you're going to find out, well, I have to see if, uh, you know, when pigs fly or, you it's know, usually a relocation. Or right. their spouse isn't on board. Right. Or they're not sure about the sale of their house. And you after we get married yeah. or after we have a baby or whatever. Okay. So now you have more information specifically on what they're looking for. Uh, whether they're working with an agent or not, you know what their motivation is. You know exactly what they're looking for. How to make them a 10. You know how to make them a 10. You have all the information and you found out whether or not they had a house to sell as your second question. Now, by the way, as your second question, if they said they did have a house to sell, we want you to finish asking the buyer questions. But what we really want you to do is then use a secondary script, which we're not going to be talking about today. And we want you to pivot and start asking them a seller pre-qualifying questions. Right. And we need you to prioritize all your listeners listing leads ahead of your buyer leads. Now in this marketplace, obviously it's easier to get a house sold than it is to find a house for a buyer to buy. But six months from now, that will not be the case. But if you don't chase that seller lead down, here's what you're going to do. If you start making the, you know, again, inexperienced agent mistake, and you start treating those people as a buyer, knowing that they have a house to sell, you won't only not sell them a house, but you're going to end up basically losing the listing. They will list the house with somebody else because they were not, they didn't understand why you didn't actually aggressively pursue the 
listing and they'll assume you were just a buyer's agent. Yeah. And that happens all the time because you guys are not asking the real, you're not doing the real work of real estate and asking real drill down pre-qual yes. questions and acting That's professionally. Right. And that applies to every call, not just when it's over your magic price range where you believe that they might have a house to sell. Investors call on first-time home buyers. They might have a whole bunch of crap they want to list with you. You don't know if you don't ask, right? Yeah, I mean, we. I yeah. remember our coaching clients. You know, when they use this script, they you you quickly discover not just one hidden transaction. You might discover multiple hidden transactions. You could find all kinds of things. Well, I have to sell five rental properties first. Yeah. Or I'm okay. waiting for, you know, I have to sell, um, you know, whatever. My brother and I are selling out of a farm and we're looking to put it for sale. And it's worth, you know, $10 million. And once that sells, we're going to buy three houses. But you are just treating that buyer lead as just one up buyer, not actually drilling down and finding out what's, okay. uh, what other real estate things were circulating in their heads. Big mistake. You wanna... Okay. So I love this question because this is your pre- closing question. Is there anything else I didn't ask you that I should have? Which is also a great one for listings, but um, is there anything else I need to know? That's just making sure that you have got all the intel. All right, so now you're gonna actually answer their question. They're probably calling about price, and here's a little nuance, right? So let's say that after you've got all this information, you now know that what they called on is not in their price range. Or it's not for sale, or it's, it's not, not what they were them. looking for. Right. And right. And so you guys, some of you are thinking, especially the analytical out there, are thinking, well, you never answered their question about price. It's because you were essentially pre-qualifying them and you could have said, well, listen, um, let me find out what else there we have coming for sale that's not on the market yet. Um, and obviously the stuff that's on the market that you might not know about and some of the new construction stuff yeah. that you might not know about. And, you know, obviously then based on how you answer these questions, I'll know what to send you and what information that's to share right. with you. But and then you can say all the best houses, as I'm sure you've discovered, Mr. Seller, have are selling usually within minutes of being put for sale or magically they're put for sale at the same time they're sold. Yeah. And what's really going on there, Mr. Seller, is those actually sold before they went for sale because of, you know, agents like me knowing where these houses were and introducing buyers like you to these properties before they hit the market. So it's okay, Mr. Buyer, if you have an unfair advantage in the marketplace, and that's what I'm hoping I can be for you. That's right. So perfect. This is what's going to happen next. We're going to set up an appointment for you to come into my office so we can get the process started. That would be the buyer presentation. At that same appointment, we'll see the homes that I've found for you that are the closest match. I'm going to contact your lender to let him or her know that we're working together and so they we can work together to help you find uh, your financing in the buying process, something like that, so that you're saying, hey, I'm going to work with your lender. We have a nice tight little thing here. And you go for the appointment and at the bottom of the script, it actually says appointment date and time so that you don't wuss out on actually closing for the appointment. Now, if they won't give you an appointment at that point, you can still circle back to, you know, what else is it going to take for you to feel comfortable and confident moving forward setting an appointment. Maybe there was something else. Maybe they just start getting started on their financing and they don't want to do anything until they know the real price. So along those lines, as far as the financing goes, uh, coaching clients, we have something called the ultimate agent addendum. You need to use that when accepting offers on your listings, but also on the buyer side transactions, you need to use that ultimate agent addendum when you're accepting lender's letter for your prospective buyers. Lenders are trained and coached to never spend that much time with a buyer until the buyer's in contract on a house. You guys don't know that. You trust your buyers or you trust your lenders are doing a good pre-qualification job. They never do a good pre-qualification job. What our ultimate agent addendum does is it forces them to do a three-merge credit report, yep. to do all the verifications of employment, assets ready to close, acceptable credit, acceptable just everything. 
And what will happen is you'll get a lender's letter and they'll have very, congratulations, Tim and Julie Harris are qualified to buy X with this much down with the interest rate not to go above this prime frame. This is locked in for this time. And then you're going to see, usually in the second or third paragraph, subject to verification of. That's telling you right there that lender didn't do jack and they were playing golf. They got a call from the borrower. The borrower had a five-minute conversation with them and the uh, or the, the loan officer basically said, what's your name? What's your email address? I'll fire you off the lender's letter. Pulled it off his hard drive, sent it yeah. to him. That was it. Yeah, that's how much time. time. That's what That's what most of you guys are believing are good lender's letters. Then you're yeah. surprised when you get somebody in contract that they can't close. It's because you were working with a lazy lender. Which is why this also asks, you know, so you actually did the application. Right. Right. So we're, we're already well, pre-programming we're, them that we're serious about them. We want to know in this qualification thing, what we coach you guys to do is we don't know, we don't want you asking, are you working with a letter good or lender good and then get off it. We want to know who the lender is and we want to know what their phone number is so you can call and find out whether or not that buyer is actually done what they said they were going to do. And then the other thing is, is you need to explain to the buyer, it's critical in this market, and this market is any market, right, that they've actually been pre-approved with the only verification or subject to being the appraisal of the house. And identifying the address. Yes. Right. So that's it. So the only lender's letter. By the letter- way, that is, that is absolutely acceptable how it should be done. If a lender gives you a hard time about that, it's because they're being lazy. Right. If an agent gives you a hard time about that, it's because they don't understand what you're trying to do or they don't want to do the extra effort. They should both be thanking you for pushing the deal along. Right. And so again, the language, we call it it's all, Premier Coaching Clients. Go to Harris Learning. Yep. It's search. Addendum. It's called Ultimate Agent. Ad- it's what's called it? the Ultimate Addendum. The Ultimate Addendum. Use that same language, whether you're representing buyers. That's right. And you basically call up the you know, the buyer's lender and you say, I'm going to email you or whatever something. And you have to make sure that lender's letter that you provide does not have any of this lender weasel language in it. So that when I'm working with this buyer, I know for a fact that I, when I present them to a prospective seller, that those people are going to be able to close. You've done your job. There's nothing that we're waiting to self-discover about yep. this borrower. The only thing the financing is contingent on is the uh, appraisal of the subject property. That's it. Those are the only buyers you guys should ever be working with. Trust us on that. Appraisals are going to become a massive pain in the ass in the next six to 12 months. And you do not want to be screwing around with a buyer that has a prospective appraisal problem. At the same time, they've got janky employment. The lenders are going to put all kinds of crazy overlays. So you might hear, well, you only have to have a credit score of 600 with 5% down and whatever, whatever. But there's no lender on the face of the earth that's not putting additional, uh, you know, minimum standards for qualifying to obtain that mortgage on top of whatever the FHFA or Fannie or Freddie have said. So the overlays are what's going to kill your deals. And it's already that- happening. I mean, I, I heard uh, one client said that Wells Fargo had told him that they had been told to use 2009 underwriting standards. What? Oh, really? Yeah. You know, because they had gone through the subprime thing and now right. they're tightening up. And so he's like, well, what is that supposed to mean? And they said, well, you know, just it's exactly what you said. Just because your client's got 20% down on a decent job doesn't mean it's a slam dunk. Yep. They uh, they said, you know, it's probably going to take 25 to 30 Self-employed people are self-employed. self-employed people. Anybody that does anything in real estate, all these different little subcategories. I mean, about entertainment now, too. Yeah, of course. You and know. and the lenders aren't going to, like, report, okay, Bank of America now has come out with a bunch of overlays, and, you know, it's going to make it even 10 times harder for any of your borrowers to get a loan here. They're not going to tell 
you. These are just new standards that get updated, and there's usually not even an announcement amongst the underwriters. They're just going through their yeah, checklist, they and they see there's you. a new standard. And I'll give you guys another one. We talked about this in our podcast. It was either Wells Fargo. I think it was Wells Fargo. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it was, no, it was Wells. That made it so that you have to have $1 million in assets at Wells Fargo before you can get a $1 million, do a, 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 It wasn't a loan. It was a refinance. Before you can <laughs> wow. do a refinance for a million and above, you have to have a million on deposit before they will let you refinance a house yeah. that's where the uh, mortgage after the refi is a million or above. Why are they doing that? Because what a lot of people did back in the shit show that was the housing crash yeah. is they did buy in bails or they did refinance in bails. So people would re- refinance their mortgage. You don't have to pay taxes on the proceeds from a refinance. They'd put the money in the bank and then they would basically default on their loan. Stiff the you know the bank would now be you know carrying the, this paper from a defaulted loan. Yep. The house depreciates, but the borrower got all their equity out. And the other thing that they were doing is the borrower before they defaulted on the house would refinance, pull the equity out then get another mortgage, use the equity from their previous house from their HELOC as the down payment on the next one, and then they'd stop making payments on the first one. It was called buy and bail. Okay? Yeah, well, you know, you got to remember who our listeners are. Many of them have I never know. heard None of, of them. such a thing. You know, I, I promise you, of the tens of thousands no. that will have listened to this show, like there's five. like three that actually <laughs> yeah. experienced it. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, there that was just the tip of the iceberg of some of the wackadoodle things that went yep. on. Um, I remember when you and I looked at houses in Las Vegas and... We were looking, and something looked vacant that looked interesting to us. We were out front, and one of the neighbors came out. Do you remember this? One of the neighbors came out. He's like, what do you want to know about that house? And we're like, well, you know, we just thought it was kind of interesting. Somebody Oh, this was in Lake Las Vegas. I think so. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. I'm, but it was yeah, like it was. each neighbor was buying the next neighbor's house yep. and they were all doing buy, buy and bail so that they would buy before they stopped making the payment on the old one. Stay in the same neighborhood, lose the the negative equity well, in the you, old house. It was even more convoluted. They were buying the neighbor's house up. through a short sale, so they were buying it at yep. a discount. So they were getting the equity out of their house, buying the neighbor's house a through price. a short sale at a better yep. price, and then they were bailing on their old one. I mean, that's it. Now that was a product of a couple years into the housing crash. That was that probably did, 2010. That didn't happen immediately. It no. took a little while for people to figure it out. But that's part. That is absolutely related to why lenders are are using their overlays and their risk management. People are saying, "Uh, uh-uh, not this time. We're not going to let you do that. You're going to have money on deposit." So you know, if you want to know why it seems crazy in the lending world, that's because they've been through. You know, crazy times. And buying and bailing, guys, is legal. Doing yeah, all these things that the right. borrowers did back in 07 through whatever. And there's something called recourse versus non-recourse. And so a non-recourse loan, and some states have non-recourse loans as you just, that's the state law like California. A non-recourse means if you default on your uh, first mortgage, if it's a refinance, most refinances were then becoming a recourse. But a non-recourse means if you default on it, the lender can't go uh, after you legally for the deficiency. Well, even last go around, even states that had recourse uh, laws on the books. In other words, if you defaulted, like I remember in Nevada, if you defaulted on a property in Nevada, because Julie and I were looking to purchase distressed property then, mm-hmm. um, and we we're looking to buy short sales. If you defaulted on a short sale in Nevada, or if you defaulted on a mortgage in, uh, in um, Nevada, and the bank ended up selling it for less lost. than what was owed on the mortgage, and they lost, say, $50,000, legally, they could actually uh, go after you, get a judgment, and go after you for that $50,000 loss. I think it was for up to a year. Yeah. But there was, and again, don't quote me on this, but I believe that there was not a single case of a single lender in a, in a single state that actually, even if they could, were going after the borrowers 
uh, for recourse on the defaulted loans. Now, be careful what I'm telling you because even if you're in a state with no uh, recourse, um, or yeah, with non-recourse like California, the non-recourse goes away as soon as you refinance, and that loan becomes recourse. Um, so these are all little nuanced things that unfortunately they've never had to know. <laughs> well, okay, so you guys are now listening to us, and you're saying, "Oh my God, Tim and Julie are speaking in hieroglyphs." And yes, I know hieroglyphs are something you read, not you speak. But I'm you know again a nerdy joke. Speaking in tongues. Yeah. Right, you're speaking in tongues. But this is all the th- these are all the things that you're going to have to be familiar with next year. Guaranteed. Yeah. You're going to have to. I mean, we, we are definitely seeing little inklings of all this stuff, starting with the tightening, tightening of mortgage regulations, right? That's one of them. Um, appraisals are coming in lower. Yep. Now, that's a little bit of a rash of that right now. The fact that there's more expireds around means that some of that aspirational pricing that you guys were enjoying is coming to an end. So on that note, I guess you guys have some work to do this weekend. Lots of sellers to, I, I had similar experiences as you said, not 700 because we didn't go back that far. But in every case, I was really surprised to see how many expireds, because you know, they all, they all think everything sells fast and furious, but it is possible to actually overprice something even in a hot seller's market or what you perceive to be a hot seller's market because that many expireds around tells you that it's starting to transition. I'll suggest to all of you, if you're not excited about the opportunity that's going to be presenting yeah. itself in your near future, if you're not excited about it, you're you're completely and mentally and emotionally missing the boat yeah. because the, all these changes are going to create huge opportunities for you to be of service to other people. There are going to be more agents, more people are getting the real estate license is not fewer, but how many of those agents are actually going to take the time to know even a smidge of the things we just talked about, let alone how to actually do a, a thorough buyer pre-qualification? You guys understand the importance of knowing how to ask questions and which order to ask the questions. You understand the importance of not just winging it, which many of you guys think is you know what you're supposed to do. You know, how many of you right now are you listening to what Julie and I just said? Feel overwhelmed? Then now go listen to someone telling you how to run Facebook ads where you can pay, you know, forty cents per buyer lead, and you think that somehow that's what you should be doing with your business, even after listening to what Julie and I just I described have a funny to you. Coaching, uh, funny quote from one of our coaching clients about that. Uh, there was a discussion on our private Facebook page we have for our members, and one of them said, "You know, I'm considering doing, buying these buyer leads." And one of our more experienced, longer-term members, he goes. Those people that you get from doing that kind of buying of buyer's leads are so far out and so non-motivated that your career will not last long enough for you to actually help them. That's true. You know, and and I think that's, and he he was speaking from experience too. So, you know. You got to be smart about what you're doing. There's leads everywhere. You there are leads everywhere. Them. Guys, this is this is the no problem. This is the best time to be in real estate since probably I would say I would say probably this is the best time to be in real estate ever. In at least or Julie and I's career because there's more opportunities and frankly you guys can leverage more technology and things like that to get at those opportunities quicker. Um, and all you've got to do, you're ultimately the one thing that should make you happy, proud, encouraged is the real work of real estate can't be you know delegated to AI, can't be delegated to a, a VA in the Philippines, can't be de- delegated to an underskilled agent. You can try, but it won't work. So for you to succeed in this marketplace, what your mission should be is to learn what to say, how to say it. You've got to learn the skills. And when you do, you're going to be confident. So we just told you that today and tomorrow and into the weekend is expired Palooza. How many of you are listening? How many of you are going to go to your MLS and see how many expireds there are? How many of you are just going to brush that off and you're going to go work on your branding or your website, right? How many of you guys are actually going to take seriously the opportunity that these types of markets present? And if not, why aren't you? 
Be honest with yourself. Why aren't you? You know what we said is true. You know how we're saying it is true. You know the information we're delivering you is going to work. So why aren't you doing something with it? Why aren't you? You need to really drill down and be introspective about that answer. In the meantime, guys, hopefully we're helping you. We're doing our best to educate you. And obviously through the education, hopefully you'll feel motivated. But ultimately, the third part is going to be up to you, which is getting you into action. You have to get yourself into action. Julie and I are good at getting your fire started. We're the kindling. We're the match, right? But ultimately, you have to make that into a bonfire. That's what we're going to continuously try to do every single day in our coaching company or podcasting. Anything we can do to help you guys stay the course. Anything we can ever do to help you, you know you can always reach me directly. Text me at 512-758-0206. Listen, listeners, thank you for continuing to make this the number one listen to daily podcast for real estate professionals, at least in the United States. We sincerely appreciate it. It is amazing and it's wonderful to see so many of you that are embracing the message that Julie and I are putting out there with regards to a return to sanity to the real estate business. We are ending an era of all these tech companies and all these buying buyer leads and all this you know, fake acting like you're working when you're not really working, social networking, Mickey Mouse. All of that stuff is going to weed itself out because the market's going to force all those bad ideas to be shown for what they are. And the agents that are going to be left standing, the brokers that are going to be left standing, are the ones that actually know how to get the job done, be of service to other people. The way you can do that is by knowing how to help other people solve their problems. That's your mission in life. That's what you're here on this planet to do. In the meantime, if you guys need us for anything, as always, feel free to text me directly at 512-758-0206. We'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.